0: You're listening to a Fit Plus Love production.
1: You have to be extremely attentive to food origin in the U.S. You can't just say, I bought it from a good grocery store, it's okay. And so what I learned is that everything that I bought had to be I had to understand where it come from i was looking for organic or beyond organic products what i really would characterize that now as in the sort of language of today is like looking for foods that are high nutrient density that was anya fernald
0: this is marnie salab thanks for tuning into my podcast marnie on the move each week i will be inviting interesting innovative Welcome and welcome back to the Marnie on the Move podcast. I'm your host, Marnie Sala. I am very excited to introduce you to today's guest, Anya Fernald. Anya Fernald is a serial entrepreneur, world-renowned restaurateur, Iron Chef judge on the Food Network, and the CEO and co-founder of Belcampo, a group of groundbreaking agricultural ventures in California and Belize in sustainably farmed food through its organic farms, butcher shops, and restaurants, as well as a unique luxury agritourism destination. What started as one mom's desire to feed her family the healthiest meat possible became a mission to revolutionize the industry from the inside out. Anya is one of the leading experts on regenerative agriculture, its importance for our planet and our health, and has become a pioneer in the meat industry Through founding one of the country's largest regenerative animal agriculture farms. Before we get started, shout out to our sponsors at Inside Tracker. Inside Tracker is the ultra personalized nutrition platform that analyzes your blood, DNA, and lifestyle to help you optimize your body from the inside out. They are my go to for understanding my inner health looking at my blood levels and getting great nutritional insight. Inside Tracker transforms your body's data into meaningful insights and a customized action plan of the science-backed recommendations you need to reach your goals. Take control of your health and wellness. Unlock the power of your potential. Use our code for 20% off. Thank you, MOTM. Now, back to our guest On this episode of Money on the Move, Anya and I sync up about the less than ideal realities of the meat industry and how Belcampo is working to bring the highest quality, optimally nutritious meats to the table all across the country. She shares how working on farms in rural Europe sparked her passion for clean protein and how eating meats without preservatives or antibiotics completely changed her health for the better. Anya sheds light on the importance of regenerative farming, what you need to know about meat, and understanding labels and overall industry issues and factory farming. Anya dials us in to where her career in farming, food, and cooking began. She shares her invaluable entrepreneurial wisdom and key lessons she has learned along the way. And of course, we sync up about the exercise and wellness routines that fuel her for success. P.S. Super thanks to Anya and Belcampo for offering all Marnie on the Move listeners 20% off on their next purchase for the next six weeks from the air date of this podcast, which is May 11th, 2021. Use our code Marnie at belcampo.com. If you like what you hear, leave us a review. It's easy. Head over to your Apple app, click on Money on the Move podcast. Scroll through the episodes down to the area where there's five stars. Click on five stars and then click on leave a review. Also, share this episode with your friends on social, wherever you like to get social. And don't forget, sign up for our newsletter, The Download. Now, on to my conversation with Anya. Thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. You are a pioneer in the meat industry through founding one of the country's largest regenerative animal agriculture farms, Belcampo Meat Company. Tell me about your company, where it began, how you started, and why.
1: Belcampo is a meat company that looks to answer every question you might have about meat. Okay, so I'm trying to give you a product that makes it easy for you to choose meat, and we basically make it climate-positive, humanely raised, regeneratively farmed, delicious. So I think the only thing that I can't solve for my customers that an animal, you know, is is processed to make the product, but I'm looking to make sure that every other question and concern they might have about meat is firmly and positively answered, right? So climate positive means that we are actively sequestering carbon through our farming practices. And we've been shown to increase soil carbon significantly over a five-year period verified by a third party. Our regenerative practices make our meat more nutritionally dense. It's higher in protein, higher in good omega-3 fats, for example, higher in monounsaturated fats than polyunsaturated, uh, sorry, than, than saturated fats. So there's a number of things that we're doing just on the health side and the animal compassion side that make this product really unique and different. And I think make it an appealing choice for you. If you if you want to eat meat, then I'm making the best meat. You
0: were vegan before you started this company for over a decade. So how did you make the switch and why did you make the switch?
1: Yeah, I really struggled with veganism for my health. I am athletic. I'm very active. And when I was vegan, I was anemic. I struggled honestly with depression in that time of my life. And I also just had a whole host of like what we would call now inflammatory diseases, Marnie, things like frequent yeast infections, frequent um, problems with psoriasis and and flaky flaky skin, split nails. My nails were constantly flaking off, frequent cavities. Those were all aspects of my well-being that were immediately resolved when I started eating more meat. Yes. And I say more me because I, I did the thing for a long time where I'm like, I'm just going to eat eggs or just eat some cheese right. every once in a while. Or, you know, I like kind of dabbled in it. But really it's like my health turned the page pretty concretely when I moved into working in farming. And I initially got into farming because I love animals, right? right? Same reason I became a vegan. I love animals. And I got into farming because I'm like, oh, cool. I want to work with cows and sheep and be in this great environment and take care of animals. And And it happened to be that I moved into a very sustainable, regenerative farming world because I was working in rural areas of of Europe in the UK and then later in Italy. But I had this really radical transformation of my health. And I sort of never wanted to go back, right? Yeah. And it was funny because it was sort of, you know, that it was still the end of like the fear of fat era. Right. But I was also discovering that I had... A much easier time maintaining an optimal weight. I'm not the person that I can eat everything and just be fine, right? Like like the majority of people. And I found that I was bucking the trend, right? I was like eating all this fatty cheese and all these fatty meats and eating a lot of meat, but I was um, able to maintain a leaner physique than I had when I had been on the low fat and vegetarian diet of my early 20s.
0: Right. So you were living in Europe, though, at the time when you mm-hmm. made the switchover, right? So yeah. the food and the meat there is very different than it is here, how it's processed.
1: Absolutely. And I, when I moved back, I discovered that the hard way, because when I moved back to California in 2006, I gained 30 pounds in the space of about six months. And I felt out of control. I was like, what is going on? Like, I can't, I don't know what I'm doing. And um, I, I was... Really, I mean, of course, it's like I was in my 30s. It's like this massive weight gain. It was it, it was sort of something that people were like, "Are you okay?" And um, I then that's actually what led in a, in an indirect route to the creation of Belcampo. So I love meat. I eat a lot of meat, and I looked at my diet back in California in those early days, and I said, "I need to find good meat because that's what I eat most of, and that's clearly something's off the rails around that." Right. And so I started buying cows direct from a farmer in that time. But it took me a while to sort it out. I didn't lose that weight for probably two years. And then honestly, despite having two babies and all the changes in that, it never came back. And I, I really adjusted the sourcing of all of my foods. And okay. I realized in that time that, that I think like like many people realize you have to be extremely attentive to food origin in the US. You can't just say, I bought it from a good grocery store. It's okay. Right. And so what I learned is that everything that I bought um, had to be, I had to understand where it came from. I was looking for organic or beyond organic products. And once I got the majority of my food and what I really would characterize that now as in the sort of language of today is like looking for foods that are high nutrient density. Right. And also looking to, to ensure that I, you know, that there's sort of no, there's no sloppy days, right? right? Like, so I was very casual when I moved back because I was used to, you know, living in Italy and eating all this meat and having a croissant and cappuccino for lunch. And, you know, like sort of, I ate cookies and sweets and all these different things in moderation. And I was all about moderation. And then I came back and moderation didn't work anymore. Right. And that was a really, and I, you know, no doubt I'd also, my metabolism certainly right. probably slowed down because I was getting older. Like other things were probably going on. Right. But it was pretty noticeable this massive swing in my body and then the swing back, which aligned with cleaning out my diet, sourcing direct. And I, and I bought my whole first cow and my whole first pig. And I learned the hard way that it's very, very difficult to buy and, and manage an entire animal.
0: Right. So I have <laughs> so to you- say, like I completely, like I've also similarly gone down that path. And I actually, so like 10 years ago, or I'm just going to say 10 for all intensive purposes, but I started triathlon and I was working with a nutritionist and I got really healthy. And she was like, you cannot buy your meat from the supermarket. Like you have to go to a local farmer. You should know where the food comes from. You should, you know, know how it's processed, know how it's, what it eats. Like, you know, you should really think about these things before you eat them. She wasn't saying like you should be vegan, right? And I started really thinking about my diet and what I ate and I, I've i never looked back. I mean, well, I really try to shop as much as possible at the farmer's market in Union Square for all produce any meat that I can get. I also go to Chelsea Market to a local butcher that, you know, until I've discovered Bill Campo, which now I will be ordering online. Nice. But yeah, I mean I'm I'm drinking the Kool-Aid. Like I'm on board.
1: So And it's also little things. You know, I think there's a there's a huge metabolic health issue in the US, right? Yes. And when you look at the wide contamination with Roundup on most of the vegetables and grains that we eat, right? And vegetables and grains um, that have Roundup on them will suppress your microbiome. Right. So we're eating low doses of poison for our microbiome. And we know that our microbiome is directly connected to metabolic health. So I actually, I, I think there's a lot of blaming, you know, of willpower and, and self-control. And, and I actually think, first off, the poorer you are, the more likely you are to have contaminated food, right? Right, which and, is unfortunate, then,
0: but it's true.
1: It's totally true. And then the other issue is that, you know, you're, if we don't really become aggressive in the pursuit of foods that can be, you know, can be demonstrated to be totally clean, right? That have full traceability to origin, then we actually can be pretty sure that it's contaminated with things that will undermine our metabolic health. It doesn't matter how healthy we eat. And I think a lot of people kind of get away with it like in your twenties, your it's your metabolic health sort of like you can be a, you know, a steamroller, no matter what you're eating, really, right? Yeah. We're in this high functioning phase. But as we get older through our 30s, I think many people will begin to notice like you almost get a like I get like a hangover from bad food. Yeah, I was talking to my one of my dear friends that I train with this morning. And she was she was saying me, she's like, I go off of we are talking about our faces, right? And I was like, man, I got this jowl line here. And she's like, yeah, if I go off of keto for three days, that pops out of my face. And I was like, she's like, my whole face changes if I get off my program. And I was, yeah, that's actually true for me too. Like I notice it around my eyes. If I don't eat on my program, if I don't eat super clean, my eyes just are puffy eye bags. I mean, I'm in my forties, right? So it's like, I see these things. Yeah. My body t- my body keeps the score.
0: Yeah. <laughs> okay, so it's like- My body's keeping score now. I'm in big trouble. Like the last two years- I never had to work for being healthy. In, in a way, like with food, I always eat clean, like I said. I mean, not before I was in my 30s, I was like really bad. But when I started training and racing and all of that, I got super healthy. And it, there, it makes such a big difference. Like you really do notice it. I 100% agree with you.
1: And it's the, that sense of, if you think about it, in America, the majority of men take anti-antacids after every meal. Right, this is true. Okay, that's terrifying. So think about it, like your food makes you so sick that you actively suppress your body's symptoms of inflammation after every meal. So that's like some things that we're just, you know, that we just take. Yeah. And we're just like, well, that's the way it is. So we yeah. just eat this bad food, we feel sick, and then we suppress our symptoms. Okay. I have a similar thing around chicken. You know, I, I did a little questionnaire on Instagram the other day where I, am, I hear from people, we wash our chickens. And I am I know that washing your chickens not good because if your chicken does happen to have anything on it, you actually spread that bacteria. If you wash it, it's actually not good to wash chickens. This is USDA research. You can Google it. And then I go online and I say, why are you washing your chicken? Just asking because I want to learn so that I can provide better guidance to people. And the reason, the number one reason why people wash their chickens, these are not Belcampo chickens, is that they, they smell bad and they're covered in slime. And so I'm thinking like, well, if you bought a shirt and it smelled so bad and was covered in slime and so you had to wash it before you wore it, but you bought it new from a nice store, would you ever buy that shirt again? No way, right? But the same, in our food, we're sort of really okay with this bad experience where it's like it makes us feel sick, so we have to take medicine to suppress it. It smells so bad when we take it out of the bag, we have to wash it off. Like, that's terrible. That's a terrible experience. Like, so there's a real acceptance among consumers now that, like, this is just sort of the way it is. And I think, unfortunately, with meat and many foods, like grains and gluten, we are actively walking away from whole categories of highly nutritional and very, very important for our nutrition foods because we can't get clean versions.
0: What is regenerative farming and why is it so important? Just going back to the farming, because I feel like that's where this all kind of begins.
1: Regenerative farming is a long-term approach to farming. It's how farming evolved. If you were a farmer back in 1800. You weren't going to extract all the nutrition from your soil and leave it destitute for your children, right? So <laughs> multi generational farms naturally always have this approach. It's modern farming that's walked away from it. So regenerative farming is actively increasing soil carbon. When you increase soil carbon, it's like giving yourself a nutritious, healthy diet. Your microbiome gets better, your overall health improves. In soil density, with soil carbon density, the actual microbiome, the density of bacteria and nematodes and good things in the soil increases because they're fed through carbon. Okay. Then in turn, the plants that grow off of that have higher nutritional density, and the animals that eat those plants have higher nutritional density. It's a virtuous cycle. Right. We've, you know, you see this, like there's some good data out there, you know, oranges have like 120th the vitamin C that they had. Uh, 50 years ago. Chickens have 20% less protein than they had a couple of decades ago. So we're seeing trends where food is becoming nutritionally impoverished. And so traditionally nutrient dense foods don't have that same density. Um, So regenerative farming supports human nutrition because you produce the most nutrient dense foods possible. It's crazy though. It's the same amount of calories and I don't totally understand why, but a pasture raised egg has 20% more protein for calories than a conventional egg. Why did
0: modern farming move
1: away from re- regenerative farming? Like why, what was the it, thought process it, there? So it's, it's an amazing system that we optimize for cost. Okay, got it. It's all about cost. And now we've made meat so cheap that close to 40% of meat ends up in food waste.
0: But there's no in value America. in it if
1: it's if it's so cheap. That's the, in the thing. So, so I mean, think so. about it. Like, not much caviar ends up in food waste, right?
0: Right. Yeah.
1: But a lot of bananas do because bananas are incredibly cheap. You know, all the shipping costs and environmental costs are externalized. The same thing with with meat. I mean, lots of the costs are externalized, and so the the problem is that we've made meat so. Art- I mean, think about it. In all traditional cuisines. There's like you make the roast and then you do something with the scraps of the roast. Then you make something out of the drippings off the roast in the pan. Like there's all these things that you do to meat to conserve it. You're using every little bit of it, right? right? Yeah. And that's that's because meat traditionally was a very high value, high cost product. And now it's just become devalued because of the way it's processed in modern farming. Chicken breast should not be $2.99 a pound, you know? The chicken that's just artificially cheap. I mean, you see sometimes ninety-nine cents a pound. Chicken has increased in the cost of, uh, the basically the the metric is that chicken has, from nineteen thirty to today, is the the price difference that's the most radical. Chicken used to cost more per pound than filet mignon in the nineteen thirties, and today it's the cheapest protein. And chickens haven't changed, but we've just cracked the code the best with chickens to make them as cheap as possible. Where should we buy our chicken? What should
0: we be looking for when we buy chicken or turkey or pork or, you know, any of those items
1: at the store? Pastured is the most important claim because pastured means that the animals actually spend the majority of their lives outdoors. Free range is not a very meaningful term. Just so you know, people think that free-range and pastured are interchangeable, but from a regulation perspective, free-range means that animals simply need to be given access to the outdoors. And that can mean on a 90-foot long hoop house that there's an 18-inch door. Okay. Okay? Yeah. So it's meaningless. Pastured is meaningful. Look for the word pastured on your chicken. Pastured chicken takes four to five times as long to gain weight.
0: So they're not, yeah. Yeah.
1: Okay. And and in a pastured operation like Belcampo's, a chicken will take eight to ten weeks to come to three to three and a half pounds of weight. In a conventional operation, it's two weeks. Okay. And that's done through a mix of um, high stress, confinement, lack of movement, right? The animals are confined indoors. They have very high cortisol levels, and they're given food with antibiotics in it. Even if it says that the food is antibiotic-free, there's plenty of workarounds to that. Right. So pastured chickens is where you want to go. Second claim that I'm looking for is organic. It's not as important as pasture to me, though, because pasture is actually the more expensive thing to do. It slows down the rate of growth. I'm looking for slow-growing protein. (laughs) Right. I'm I'm protein and I would like to grow slowly. (laughs) You know, it's like in general, I don't want myself or my children to have, you know, food from animals with very similar DNA that has grown at rapidly out of sync with nature speeds. It just doesn't make sense to me. Right. Are
0: there certain seasons that you should be looking to buy chicken in if you're going to eat it?
1: You know, chickens are pretty hardy and in our operation, for example, we batch harvest so we raise them in the summer when they're less subject to predation. It's not actually that they don't... they, they grow a little bit more slowly in the cold, but they're, it's more about predation. So where we are, we're up against the national forest and there's lots of, you know, bears and lions and eagles and stuff that will actually just, when food becomes scarce, they'll come down and, and hunt them on the farm. So that's not what we want to encourage. Seasonally, it's less important, but what you're looking for is an actual like body conformity that doesn't have enormous breasts, isn't puffy. The meat should be firm and it should be pale to a dark pink it shouldn't be white. Okay. And if you go to our website, you can see we have a meat for health page and I show a picture of our chicken compared to a conventional chicken. And that's going to give you a a good overview of what's different. They have much more muscular, bigger legs, smaller breasts, and the meat itself is is a dark pink color. And the skin is a rosy pink. It's not white.
0: Okay. Got it. Is it the same for turkey or it's different?
1: Absolutely the same. Pastured is number one, organic number two. And then third thing that I want to call out that's important is the word humane. There's a number of different certifications. They're all fine. Animal Welfare Association approved, certified humane. There's a couple others out there, but look for a GAP, certification GAP 4 or 3 is a good one for just animal handling standards. So those are the three certifications I want at any chicken that I put in my mouth. And it's it's really difficult now to find pastured, but that's a segment that's growing rapidly. Also because the culinary and taste performance is so much better. I mean, I also just ran, I now do nutritional testing of all my proteins on and we make them available on our website every three months. So oh, that's just great. Keeping updated. Yeah. And we've shown just out of the gate, our chicken is like 10% higher protein per serving. Than any of the standard grocery store chickens that we've tested, and it's up to twenty percent against some of the you know, cheaper chickens. So you get more protein, but it's also I think the the solubility of the meat, the protein, the chicken breasts are not ropey; they're very finely textured and they dissolve on your palate easily. Okay. Uh, they're not. You have the experience sometimes with chicken where you're just chewing it and chewing it. Yes, I have. And it kind of leaves like a crud on your tongue. It's like it's almost like there's like grains. Yeah, That's fast-growing meat. Fast-growing meat has low solubility and slow-growing meat has high solubility.
0: I haven't had chicken in so long, but I do. I love turkey, but I order locally from somewhere.
1: So something I have observed is that many people just walk away from chicken because the general quality is so low. Why do people walk away from chicken uh, and more the, the, often than not? Absolutely. So the reason why is that that is the product that has been most transformed with industrial agriculture. And it's the hardest to find a clean version. And the reason why is because industrial ag has been so good. My chicken costs five times a, a, a what a conventional does per pound. Right. It's five times more expensive. When I first opened my business, I was selling chicken for $6.99 a pound. I think now it's $5.99 to $6.99 And people were posting Yelp reviews with pictures of the price tags and like a bunch of emojis and telling us to go to, (laughs) (laughs) I mean, we were getting aggressive, aggressive responses. And I was, and people sort of think that, that you're laughing all the way to the bank as you bamboozle them with this expensive chicken. And I'm like, guys, chicken is my lowest margin product. Like, we're barely making money at this price, selling whole birds, not even cutting them up and things like that, right? right. So it's, I mean, the problem is that it's way more costly. So the reason that you don't see mainstream, high-quality pastured chicken is that it costs far more than people are comfortable with. And
0: there really is a price that people are willing to pay for chicken.
1: And the multiple, so Marty, I can sell a beautiful filet mignon for, you know, for a steak. And people actually think, oh, that's a pretty good deal. Cause you know, if I get filet mignon from XYZ vendor or from my butcher shop, it's $40. Right. And then I can sell my ribeyes might be 30% more expensive than they're accustomed to seeing. And my ground beef is about the same price where it's like 15, 20% higher. Okay. Like we're playing ball. When I go out there with my chicken, it's like, wait, this is five times what I pay at Costco. Five times, yeah, you know, whereas even if you go to Costco, you might see that Wagyu ribeye that costs double what mine costs. So the problem is that the sustainable chicken operations are so out of whack with commodity. And why are they out of whack? Is that the, you know, the way that the chicken anatomy and system is built, right? They've responded extremely well to the rapid weight gain enhancing things that, that, that we've been able to build an industry in America. So that's the thing is like, basically chicken is the perfect vehicle for industrial ag and chickens have been engineered to gain weight really, really rapidly. Now, the crazy thing is that, you know, more than half of chickens sold in America have fecal matter contamination on them. And I don't think people realize the trade-offs, you know, in a modern meatpacking plant that pack packing house workers have two seconds per chicken to kill an eviscerated bird. Okay. Okay. These are horrific conditions. And of course you're going to have guts and contamination if you're spending two seconds. You realize how, I mean, two seconds. Okay. So these are the, and these are the awful meat plants where people are wearing diapers because they're not allowed to go to the bathroom. I mean, like these are the worst, right? Like right the worst, like the right? Worst, so,
0: worst conditions. Yeah.
1: But the problem is the whole industry has been so geared to efficiency, but it's at the cost of- First and foremost, safety, right? So we all have to overcook our chicken. It's at the cost of nutrient density because the product that we're creating is very, very um, low nutritional quality. It's at the cost of of human health, right? And safety because we also have to overcook all this meat and the workers who work there are sick and the people who live near the plants are sick and there's all those problems. And then fourth, and this is kind of number one for priority meat, it tastes terrible. right. So it's like we've made a product that tastes so bad that to eat it, it's got to be drenched in like soy sauce and sugar to make it palatable. And it's like it's a lose, lose, lose. At that point, just eat tofu. I was just going to say, yeah,
0: there's no point. I mean, really, is it the same for meat? I mean, are there the same kind of regulations? I mean, obviously, there are different terms like meat isn't or is it like you talk about pasture-raised, grass-fed, well, grass-finished? There's
1: two type, major categories of livestock. There's monogastrics, which means mono, one, gastric stomach, monogastrics, and those are pigs and chickens. And there's ruminants. And ruminants are have multiple stomachs, lamb, beef, goat. Those are the ruminants you see for right. sale in the U.S. Venison, elk, bison. Those are all ruminants. So monogastric species thrive when 80-plus percent of their diet is is grain. It's they're they're like humans. They've been they've evolved to eat high density, high nutrition density foods. Ruminants evolved eating the lowest quality nutrient density, and that's where you get into regenerative systems. Those animals actually evolved in the food chain, taking low quality forage and turning it into high quality protein, right? And they also play a functional role in the ecosystem, eating grass and eating seed pods and pooping them out with a bunch of fertilizer around them. They do all those functions, right? But they have very different constraints in terms of what you're looking at for handling. So for monogastrics, mostly pigs and chicken, I'm looking pastured, organic, and humane. For ruminant species, I'm looking for first and foremost, 100% grass-fed and finished. So to be clear, when I talk about chickens and pigs being pastured there's no such thing as a grass-fed chicken or if there is it's a very skinny chicken okay yeah it's like you or me if we only ate chard it's just not viable for them and and those chickens will also be eating grubs and um, all sorts of different things and actually in a pure in an environment where you don't give a chicken any supplemental feed it will take over a year to come to weight. It'll be very tiny, grow very slowly. So it's not optimal for their health either. But a chicken is going to need grain or another nutrient-dense food. You also come across operations where they're using food waste. They're feeding pumpkin, apples. What are those foods? They're high-carbohydrate, high-sugar, just like grain. Okay, so if it's apples or if it's corn, it's it's not like there may be some subtle differences, right? right. Almond meal, almond holes, like you see that. So it's basically food waste or grain primarily. And then when they're pastured, they're supplementing. So they might get 10, 12% of their calories from grain and grubs and bugs and stuff that they eat out at pasture. Pigs are carnivores. Pigs will hunt and eat chickens on our farm. They they'll eat rattlesnakes. Pigs are are carnivorous as well. So their pigs will actually, you know, they thrive we we don't feed them any meat, but they're fed primarily grain. And then I'll supplement with we'll throw pumpkins and apples and stuff from the orchard and farm in there, waste stuff from our garden. All pig farmers do. We've also used things like distillery waste for pig feed as well. Pigs, you know, in agriculture evolved as like the compost heap, right? You kept them in the courtyard and they fed scraps. So those animals have a different set of criteria. For ruminants, grass-fed and finished is the key thing. And then secondary is organic for me. And third is humane. Okay. And the key thing on grass-fed and finished, animal wellness is part of it. Grain is not good for those animals. It's just not. Their stomachs become black and slimy. They become more likely to develop diseases like E. coli infections, which isn't good for you either. Right. They're not good. Their their microbiome dies off. Now they're trying to supplement cow feeds with lots of probiotics to offset this. But Yeah. I mean, the meat industry
0: and factory farming is where like all the bad buzz, all the bad press, all the bad stuff comes from this factory farming.
1: Exactly. So and the stuff you hear about the bad news is true. I don't dispute those numbers about carbon footprint and water usage. I don't dispute them at all. So, I mean, they're real. They're just right. not relevant to my style of farming. This I'd say for you and your listeners, 100% grass-fed is incredibly important for the nutritional profile. You should be trying to get a ratio of one to one to one to four of omega-3s to so omega-6s in your diet. The more balanced that ratio is, the better your health outcomes are. And this is something that there's lots of research about, that one-to-one ratio is optimal for everything from your children's performance on standardized tests is impacted by that ratio, right. your susceptibility to disease, and the, and the degree to which you get sick when you do get sick, all of your inflammation markers improve on a one-to-one, three-to-six diet. That's the golden ratio. In meat, the ratio available in meat that eats 100% grass is one-to-one. Our meat tests the same as game. We have the same profile as elk and venison. That's been totally wild raised. When I test my competitive set in the grocery store, right, and these are names I won't mention, but they're every grocery store that everybody knows and shops at, even when they say grass-fed, it's a one-to-twelve ratio on average. Wow. and that's huge cuz that's an inflammatory ratio yeah. right so the problem is that if you're looking to to um, if you're on an i mean first off i'd say you know pork for example has more omega 6s than 3s out of the gate and i think that's why many people find it inflammatory too um, so there's certain species when they're eating more seeds they're going to have that Ratio. Inflammatory chicken ratio. is less yeah. of an issue because chicken has very little fat. And this is really a three to six issue. So the, the total fat, especially pasture chickens have way less, but grass fed meat has less fat. Our meat on in general has 20% less fat than any conventional meat, 20 actually to 50%, depending on the cut. Because our animals eat only green grass and they walk a lot. So they're super lean. (laughs) Right, They're like the triathletes of the cow world, right? Whereas my competitors are keeping their animals immobile and feeding them grain.
0: They're watching Netflix. (laughs)
1: yeah so and they're also you know they're they're stress and cortisol and from you know competition for resources and no natural mating and you know child rearing all those things
0: like all of these things that you're talking about are so important like if you are going to eat meat and you are going to eat chicken and pork it's really and turkey it's so important to know where your food comes from to know the farm to know the farmers to understand these things um I, I really do believe like that that is such an important connection to have to bring an awareness around what you're eating. And also like to know that, you know, there is a lot of bad meat out there, a lot of bad food out there, just like buying Cheetos at the supermarket. Like, you know, you've got to make smart choices about what you eat.
1: Yeah. You have to advocate for yourself. And I think, you know, you know it's. It's like self-care. You know, it's like you got to kind of stick up for yourself on this stuff. And the thing is, it's not just the thing to do because it's like the woo, right thing to do. It's actually noticeably different for your health. I mean, actually, from a nutritional perspective, non-grass-fed and finished beef is highly inflammatory.
0: That's really good to know. I mean, I didn't realize the level of the inflammation, like the ratios that you're talking about. Um, mm-hmm. But I do, yeah.
1: So it's like, I mean, animal wellness and animal health supports human health. So optimally well animals are optimal nutrition for humans. And that's an important kind of connection, I think. Because I I gotta say, like, I, you know, the planet hugging part of me is a big part of me. And I'm really proud of what I do. But it's also like, if if I look at like our day-to-day, more self-interest is also a really key motivator. So I want to make sure that people understand this isn't just the right thing to do because it's like the right thing to do. It's actually a better choice for animals, for all animals, like in the sense of for us as, as, as humans and carnivores, it's a better choice for our nutrition. Like there's a, we're, we're part of this continuum of, of health. And that's, that's a very kind of a funny thing to think about, I think, but it's like it broadens the, the reasons why you want to choose to do the right thing with meat.
0: Right. Right. And I think that just going back to your roots, because, I mean, you know, what you're talking about is is certainly, you know, something that you're doing now in your career and with your company and something that you're passionate about, but you've always been passionate about food. I mean, take me back to where your journey began in the world of food before you were on Iron Chef and all the things that you do now. Like, where did your journey begin with food?
1: I... I was always passionate about being in the in the kitchen because it was a way to really add value to my family. My mom used to get really stressed out about cooking. And so I kind of just started pitching in, right? And I'm good on my feet. I'm a fast thinker. I'm good multitasker and and I love flavor and I love eating and and cooking. I love the smell of food. So I I I got into that role in the kitchen of my household growing up. And I then looked into exploring it like as a culinary career, but I wasn't really excited about the idea of like fancy fine dining. It just didn't really scratch any itches for me. It's like, okay, that wasn't the experience I wanted to execute with my life. And I loved farms and I loved being near and on farms. And um, I moved to Europe and became a cheesemaker working in really small dairies. Which is um, so cool, in, by the way. <laughs> It was, it was really before it's time. I feel like now it's really hip, but back then it was not hip. It was like, you took your college degree and you went and now you're making like pecorino. What's wrong with you? But I, I learned a lot about myself. Um, and I learned a lot about my own health and I personally thrived. I got my health sorted out. Lots of little things that were, you know, not working for me in terms of my energy levels and my overall vitality came into line in that time in my life. I mean, as a, I think it was just very transformative. And I I also, I loved the quality and the simplicity. I love that you could have a lunch that was just like a piece of cheese, a little piece of meat, you know, like some vegetables, and it was just so easy to, to eat really well. And it seemed like everything that I knew about eating well at the time in the U.S. was like powders and complexity and stressful and also sort of highly processed, you know, at the time of fat-free where everything to make like a cookie fat-free was seemed impossible at home. Right. Right. So nothing about it was complex. And I love that. And that's like, completely dependent on A-plus ingredients, right? Yes. You wonder how you have that meal like on vacation whereas you know, you're like in Mexico and it's like a couple pieces of fish and then a little squeeze of lime and some chili. And and it's like, this is so incredible. Why don't we do this at home? And it's like, (laughs) because you can't get that fish. And that lime has like just been picked off the tree and that's chili from this like place down the street, Right. right? Like it's all the good stuff. So that to me was the kind of missing piece where it's like, if you make really good, simple things, everything becomes easier, you become a better cook right your health becomes easier to manage like all these things happen so i wanted that's the magic for me Is like the the ingredients that are so good and so clean that everything just flows from them and that's what i think i'm achieving now with belcampo you know it's taken a while and the cool thing now is i have been like i launched a a meatball that's keto friendly gluten-free delicious incredible macros I launched a beef carnitas, I have a bone broth, you know, so doing these simple prepared foods too that are in line with this philosophy and that have no like multi-syllabic ingredients is incredible for me, but they're all made for meats from our farm as well. So that kind of layer of like, how do I make like that, you know, I'm all for a whey protein shake and, you know, chia seeds, something every once in a while, but I love that, you know, food that looks like food that you can cook simply and that's really gratifying and super healthy. That's just a, that's just the best, right?
0: Yeah, i love that you sell at Arwan. They oh sell my all gosh, my favorite yeah. products like Sun Potion and all the things that I like am into. Yes.
1: yeah. Erwan is a, is incredible. and they've been a real partner for us in growth. like they've helped us enormously and it's been it's been a great relationship. they're they're great people. Um, and they're expanding rapidly, too, which is fantastic.
0: I see that. Their store, just see, it's so, I love pioneering concepts. Like, I love what you're doing with Belcampo. And I think it's so cool. And I, I, I'm i really a huge fan of trailblazers, game changers. Before you launched Bellcampo, you were part of the slow food movement. And you also had an, a marketing company where you were helping artisan brands, So you certainly know a thing or two about the industry and the business side of things.
1: Yeah. I mean, I I was a serial entrepreneur before I started Belcampo. I built and sold two businesses. And then before that, I did business advising and sort of mixed into that. So it's been fun to bring the, build the business acumen piece of it, but I'm a, I'm, you know, I leave from passion in my company, you know, and it's, I have to feel really good about what I'm doing. I'm not excited about the challenge of making, I mean, I like making money, but that's not the challenge, the aspect of the business that I find the most exciting. What I find the most exciting is like, is that I see this white space where there's, there's no brands that people trust in meat. Right. Like everybody kind of feels conflicted and dubious about their meat choices. And they have a a lot of shame, a lot of confusion. And it's like, oh, wow, if I can that the idea of being this solution to that for people is really what makes me tick in this business.
0: I think you're really onto something because you're right. I mean, there really isn't like a go to like I mentioned a brand of like mushrooms and Chinese herbs. That's my go to. I would love to have Belcampo be my go to for all of my meat. And then I do have, you know, in New York, there's like some local farmers. But I think that I mean, I think that not everybody knows about what we're talking about today or has the option to connect with a brand like yours.
1: And also what I'm trying to do is I, I want to create as much space as possible for the local farms while becoming a national brand for quality. And I think the the route to do that is things like the meatballs, which are out of reach of many smaller operators, but we can with our scale, right? Um, work with co-packers and and create these product lines. So and the bone broth, the bone broth. I'm doing a high collagen bone broth that launches this summer, which is 25 grams of protein per serving. So in eight ounces and like under a, it's like under 50 calories. You get 25 grams of protein. Amazing product. I've got chicken meatball coming out. I have my beef meatball. I have three seasoned types of chicken breasts and legs, and sugar-free barbecue sauce, chicken. So it's like those kind of semi-prepared, the kind of stuff that people buy at the grocery store and are like, oh, I really don't want to be buying this meat. I know it's junk, but I like that it's seasoned. So that's where I see the opportunity is like for that use case of the semi-prepared. And I am the ultimate home cook. I cook all the time. I cook with joy. I'm on the extreme end of the spectrum of cooking enthusiasm but when I, but once I launched this product, I literally, you know, I get a ton of the stuff for content and shooting it. And I have like a stack of these like lemon pepper chicken breasts in my fridge and I'll be damned. I had them for dinner every night for like a week running because they were versatile. They were pre-made. My kids loved them. It was just like, oh yeah, this is why this is awesome Anya. And so it's been also, I've grown a ton because when I started this business, I was like, you know, teaching the world to cook shanks. And I love right. cooking shanks, but I don't do it that much anymore because I I get my collagen now from my bone broth. And then I prefer to so I'm not trying to meet my collagen needs through my culinary stuff. You know, so I used to cook right. a lot of braises because I wanted my collagen and all the gut and bone and skin health that comes from that. But it's like, well I can get that from my from my bone broth which I now drink daily in a really convenient way. And then I and for my culinary stuff, I'm doing simpler pre-seasoned meat. So it's like I've also changed my, I've gotten simpler and more reliant on this in my prepared foods myself, and as part of my own journey. And it's also, you know, being a busy mom and having the kids How be a little bit kids? older and four and eight. Okay, that's the the kind of missing piece now. It's like okay, if I can create something that's got all these values that I really believe in, but then it's just it meets you where you're at on the culinary side, that would be so dope. That's where I'm going towards, you know, where I can really support you in your life. Because people say that to me all the time now, like, oh, I love, I keep like 10 of your meatballs in the freezer and there are, we have them like twice a week. It's so, I love that they're there. And I'm like, I love that I could do that. And that being convenient didn't involve all these concessions for you around your health and your values, right?
0: I think that's really important. And I think it's also great to add to this that you are, you've been, nominated and recognized as a top chef around the world you've been a judge on iron chef america on food network if for several seasons your recipes and ideas for cooking you have two books i mean if anyone is going to make these like prepackaged
1: meals it should be you <laughs> Yeah, that's like, I mean, I definitely have a culinary cred and that's yeah, been fun you, to deploy in this, yeah. but it's been, it's been neat for me too, as a culinarian to kind of, and it's not without some, <laughs> ridicule's not the right word, but it's not like everybody in my industry is like, oh, go, go, go. That's great. You know, because it's like <laughs> they, people want you to, to, you know, for, there is a lot of like implicit elitism in this and there's not even implicit, there's just overt elitism, right? right. Where it's like, oh, these are going to be these specialty products that you, I mean, I love that you shop at the front market. I do too. But a lot of weeks I can't. And I just like, I got to be on a Zoom.
0: Yeah. It's not always easy or convenient
1: to get to the farmer's market. Yeah, exactly. And it's like, I got I to gotta work and I got to, you know, I got to keep the lights on. And it's like, okay, well, what do I do the rest of the time? And the sort of the elitism piece is I think that the the kind of groovy alternative leading edge food system is predicated on you having more money to spend on food, but also a lot more time.
0: This is true. Yes.
1: The elitism is around the time. And it's like, well, if you don't have that time or a partner that's fully dedicated to like foraging for you at markets and boutique stores.
0: My partner does all the cooking and we'll sit on the weekend and she'll be like, okay, this is what we're having this week. This is what you need to get at the farmer's market. But we are two people and we divide and conquer, right? So I love going to the farmer's market. I totally recognize that I'm super fortunate, and most people can't get to the farmers' market and are just simply too busy.
1: Totally, and that's like that's amazing. I mean, that's you if you have that resource and you have that passion. I also recognize a lot of people are just like, I don't want to think about my food. This is why people like soylent and protein drinks, right? So there's like there's a spectrum, and you have to look at like when I think about why hasn't this gotten into the mainstream? And it's like, well, there's an there's an implicit bias. Towards people who have plenty of time to work right. on this or want to make it a priority. Right. And it's not really about money. I mean, it is about money, but we spend a lot of money on our cell phones. Like if we could really connect the dots for people around health and wellness and their food choices, I think that people are going to be spending a greater share of wallet on this, right? Yes. Like there's I agree. a there's an incremental shift. So the question is how do you crack the time question? So, and that's where I started to shift up my content of like right. I don't, I'm not gonna do recipes that are like two or three days. And I and I actually see a lot of chefs where I think. Okay, you know, your home cookbook, there's no recipe there that doesn't require like a day of planning and like three ingredients that you have to buy that you specially sent from New York. You know, like it's a it's complex, right?
0: Yeah. Yeah. And I think you know what I think the other thing that is really great that was a game changer for us, getting some of the pre packaged meals. But we, did, we ended that because we started doing a deeper dive into the ingredients. I mean, it was a great solution for a minute because my partner was like uninspired. And so just she was so busy and I was like, all right, whatever. And then I was like, wait, we can't order this.
1: It's like not good quality stuff.
0: How have you been navigating COVID?
1: Well, our businesses are actually doing, have grown throughout COVID
0: because people um, are staying home and cooking
1: yeah so our restaurants have remained pretty consistent because we had we always were a good delivery business so we haven't suffered like the fine dining restaurants have um just by just by luck on that one for the positioning and then you know the bay area and la are have been pretty resilient economically in this time right and then our e-commerce channel has grown really rapidly Right. so COVID has actually been it's also you know it's not like hey, I, I've had to lay off a lot of people. I've had to close a few restaurants. It's not like it's been a walk in the park, but I'd say it's brought some good diligence to areas of the business that needed to be shown a little light on, right? So we've, we've gotten more rigorous about things and then we've been able to grow some things that were ripe for growth.
0: Right, I, yeah, I mean, I think a lot of brands had an opportunity during the past year to really focus on things that were more internal, and digital than as opposed to like outwardly focused and sort of in the physical world.
1: It's also, you know, the opportunity in COVID to work from home, travel less. It's, it's actually, we've extracted more productive working time out of every day in my company, because I have, you know, restaurants in the East coast and West before this. And a lot of our time was just running back and forth between places. And it's like, we've, we've, brought in just some focus, you know, so shut down a few restaurants, closed the New York operation, focused on the California ones, made them better, made them leaner, focused the menu and really focused on the the health and wellness aspects of the menu. And we've really just been able to, to dial in uh, on what's important to the brand. And I do think it's like from a personal perspective, I don't think pe- enough people are telling, I mean, I got it. The, the first three months of COVID eight hours of zoom a day, it was a nightmare. It was just a nightmare. Like, and and it felt like everything was falling apart constantly, but, but then, you know, things have kind of stabilized. And I actually think we're more productive and more focused as a team.
0: And you get to be at home with your kids too, right? Like you spend more time with them and. Yes, Absolutely. How have you been staying fit and healthy throughout your career?
1: I mean, the irony is like the start of 2020, I was like, this is the, this is going to be an optimal fitness year because it's been hard with the kids and the travel. And then just because of COVID, it actually became that, you know, so my fitness routine now is I do a mix of kettlebell training, weight training, run a little bit, and I do jujitsu and boxing. So I mix it up among those things. I find as I get older, I'm more prioritizing just movement and and just like lots of things that challenge me on balance and movement is where my energy takes me. I, I also practice breath work. I do ice baths. I'm getting a sauna for my house. Like I I really like that stuff. I like the I like the agility and energy that that staying fit brings me, and I I've really in the past year just kind of standardized some of my routines. You know, so actually now I I have written out my favorite workout routines. I train with one of my best girlfriends from college three days a week at 7.20 in the morning, 7.20 to 8 a.m. Yeah. She comes to my house, we kick it out. I'm on calls by 8, I'm done. You know, it's like I just get that done. And then if I have time, I might take my dog for like a one-mile run or two-mile run or something in the afternoon. You know, I'm not going to go crazy. And then the other days I do any mix of different things, but I try to move... About half an hour to an hour, six days a week. And it's, uh, there's a lot of reasons why that's been you know, that's the sort of magic formula for me, you know, in the sense that I have a lot of energy. I also, because of my culinary work, I end up needing to be, you know, I'm on the farm, I'm moving around a tough, like basic fitness is really important for me just like in terms of strength so that I don't injure myself because my job is surprisingly physical a lot of the time. And I also have two little kids that jump all over the place and stuff like that. But it's also just mental and emotional stability. Right. I'd say though, the things that have been the most kind of powerful little changes that I've done in the past three or four months of COVID. One has been, I've gotten a stand for doing, that's a shoulder brace where I can do headstands.
0: Okay. Wow. Facilitated.
1: That's cool. And I also have a yoga swing where I, so going upside Wait, down. Wait, I need that shoulder um, brace. I have to get that. I'll send for you, head- I'll send you a link. It is so bomb. So if you're doing calls all day and your brain's just blowing up, you haven't had a chance to work out, like you can get in this and do five minutes and it just kind of is like having a cup of coffee. You'll just sort of jumpstart things. So that's <laughs> <love> amazing. It. <laughs> And then I also put a slack line in my backyard and I just, I slack, I go back and forth. Like it's about 20 feet long and it's about four feet off the ground. And I do it two or three times a day for balance. And, you know, just like, it's like a tightrope, but I hold on to, now you're in New York City, so you can't do this, but with the backyard slack line, it's like $40 on Amazon. And it's amazing for that. And I also have a couple of medicine balls. So like I do, it's funny in my house now. I've got, you know, slack line outside. I have some elastic bands in the tree outside. I've got a yoga swing. I have medicine balls downstairs in my house. And then I have a little gym. Area. So it's like there's different areas. I keep some kettlebells outside. So I try to just work movement into my day because if I don't, I and I think this is like in retrospect, I, you know, I, I literally like in my office life. I was too. Seg- I, I had to be very segregated. You know, you're wearing fancy clothes, you're wearing fancy shoes, you got makeup on, and the great liberation of COVID has just been able to be able to have more sort of like flow and ease throughout my day,
0: right? You right. know, and be
1: able to move more. And I'm not like radically in better shape than before, but I feel a heck of a lot more like like strong. Like I feel stable and I feel strong and I'm and I feel really even and not overwhelmed. Right. Whereas before, when I was constantly on the road um, and squeezing in intense, insane workouts at hotel gyms, when I had the energy, right. Right. Now I feel like there's much more of like, well, every day I do about 25, 30 minutes, sometimes 45. And and I feel like I get to the weekend and I'm not like, oh, I gotta cram in like a big ass workout today because I'm so behind, right?
0: Yeah. And so do you were you was there ever a time where you were like running you run between all the restaurants as well? Or are you mostly on the farm? Um, yeah. Like where's
1: your you yeah, do yeah. it all? No, everything you do everything. I do, I mean, I'm up at the farm. Yeah, I'm at the farm most of the summer. I used to be constantly in the restaurants. I used to be in LA. One or two days of the week, and then every two weeks in New York. So that was a lot, and I would have usually like six travel days, like being on airplane days a month at least. So you have you have six restaurants. I right now I have five, and I had seven before. Okay, so yeah, it was a it was a hectic lifestyle, and I definitely have enjoyed slowing down. But the fitness needs is like what I found for myself for more optimal fitness is just. Being able to do a number of little things, yes, is, is is if you can do it from a work schedule, is is definitely preferable. You know, it's like it's really nice to not have that mandate to do it all at one time, and then also have the the ease of. I mean, I don't know these people on Instagram that get up at four in the morning and pound out like that's just not me I don't get up that early no and it was never feasible for me to do a morning workout but now that I don't need to go to an office I'm like oh, okay this is great so I mean I, there's a lot of privilege in that and just you know the ability to work from home but man it's a better I feel like it's it, this this sense now is that like I'm building a base now and I, I really like I don't you know I used to try to work out with a trainer once a week and do all the structure now it feels a lot more fluid but I feel stronger Right.
0: It's interesting because I feel like if you can work from home, I don't think a lot of people are going to go back to an office. I mean, unless you have to, like unless you have to go to the farm or you have to go to the restaurant and there's like a physical
1: reason. Yeah, I mean, I'm interested to hear what the productivity changes are for different industries. I think in our industry, we've actually in our business, I have seen us get more productive. And I've also seen people having a little bit, especially in the past couple of months, a little bit better time with work life Boundaries, right? You know, as the start of COVID, especially in the restaurant industry, everybody was afraid of losing their jobs. Right? People are working these crazy hours, kind of burning out, and it's that's been a, a shift in the past couple of months. And I now see, like for myself, I'm working probably fewer hours in the week, but I'm you know, whereas before I would be working eighty or hundred hours weeks, but a lot of that time was like on airplanes going someplace or had a long work dinner with a potential client or something, right? So these longer kind of conversations and things that ate up a lot of time. Once you zero that out, my actual workload is a lot more manageable. Right. You're a serial entrepreneur.
0: So what are some like sage lessons that you've learned over the years that have kind of like carried through with everything that you do?
1: Absolutely. So, I mean, in terms of being an entrepreneur, remember to look for people around you who have very different skill sets. There is an inclination for many people in their entrepreneurial roles. And I, I think this is actually true for both genders, but to sort of like hire our friends, you know, or start something with our buddy or look to bring some people we love into our world. And what I found is that the key thing in the early stage of a business is having people with very different skill sets. And when you're looking more at affinity and people who share your passion, you don't need more people with passion. You shouldn't because if you're starting a business, you better have all the passion you need, right? right. To make that <laughs> yes, go. This is true. And you should be looking for people with discreetly different skill sets. The thing I, I call out is that I I remember and I've noticed now in a lot of times with early stage businesses, a lot of people sort of show up looking, you know, suspiciously overly skilled to be interested in a small business, like to be careful about who you ask for help in the early years. And it's better to get somebody with maybe a little bit less of an impressive track record, but who has experience in a small scale entrepreneurial operation. You'll get a lot of people coming at you when you become, you know, moderately successful, who are like, hey, I've worked in these big businesses all these years. And now I want to be entrepreneurial. Look for people in the early stages of your business that have entrepreneurial experience. Okay. Even if they grew up in the, it grew up and their parents were entrepreneurs or had their own business, you know, people who understand managing cash and keeping an eye on things and have that day to day kind of visceral sense. Because a lot of your management in the early years of a business is kind of that like management by walking around, you know, like checking in with people, how are things going? And you find out a lot that way. So you want people who've got that kind of know how.
0: That's great advice. And then what are some of the big, Sort of lessons that you take from all of your jujitsu and boxing and fitness and all the adventures that you're setting up within your space that you bring back to the business.
1: One thing that's I've really learned, like on jujitsu, is fairly recent. Boxing, the longer thing, but like in my sports, that this is there's so much that you can learn from your body, right? And your and how you move in the world. I feel like they're so connected. And just the other day, I was dealing with somebody really problematic and. And he was sort of trying to to um, provoke me with this really frustrating project, and and this is somebody I have to give space to and hear. And um, I was I I my mind took me to jujitsu where there's this moment where you're you let people tire themselves out by trying to push you. So instead of like fighting back, you're absorbing their space, you're absorbing their energy, and you're you're you learn a lot about like absorbing the punch and then fading away and just like letting yourself get pushed. And the idea is like, we'll tire them out. Right. And I took that immediately and I'm like, great. And I actually turned that into like, when you have somebody who's being aggressive with you, let them tire themselves out. Like instead of getting reactive and taking them down point by point, encourage them to write a more comprehensive memo about why. That's
0: great. That's awesome advice. Yes. Like that was
1: something where I was like, oh yeah, that's totally a movement thing. Totally a movement thing, you know? And then the other thing is that, you know, a lot of times, especially as women in leadership, we want to show up as being people's friends. And now we're also encouraged to be really vulnerable. Right. Yes. But I also encourage yourself as a leader, especially for women, to, to have the boundary that you don't need to be anybody's friend.
0: Right. That's a tough one. I personally have not experienced this in my career, but I've definitely been on the listening side of friends talking
1: about this happening
0: in the workplace?
1: It's a hard one. And I feel actually now that, you know, like it, it gets easier. Yes. As you get, as you, you know, move through your career. Yes. But it's also about liberating yourself from the expectation that people are going to like you or need to like you. I literally just had this conversation with one of my friends. There's the advice of sort of like name it and tame it. Right. You know, yeah. so something you can also encourage as a practice is just to say, let's just say it's Jennifer, like, okay, Jennifer really doesn't like me. Right. Okay. great. Like that's okay. And not, and be okay with like not needing to fix that. You know, cause the other thing is that when you're an entrepreneur or in the leadership position, nobody's watching out for you. Right. Okay. Nobody's watching out for you. And you, I mean, really nobody's watching out for you. I remember this early on, like hustling. This is before Pell Campo, my previous business, and having gotten benefits set up and then realizing that my benefits had lapsed. And, you know, I had an HR person, but they hadn't, you know, occurred to them, you know. And I was like, man, I've been hustling for everybody and I don't have benefits. And this is something that somebody in our system should have caught And, and realizing like, that doesn't, that's okay. That's like, that's sort of the way it is on. And it's like a metaphor for everything, right? Right. Where nobody is watching out for you when you are the leader and that's okay. That's what you signed up for. Right. Yeah. And if you need people to watch out for you, don't sign up to be the leader. Right. right? I'm not saying that that's a fault on anybody. And honestly, you know, people in my like, you know, board roles or anything for me, I'm, I'm not worried about their well-being. (laughs) <laughs> right, right. Right, but I sure as heck I'm worried about the well-being of my executive team. Right. hundred percent. I'm watching out for them. I'm checking in with them. I'm making sure people, you know, like are taking care of themselves. And I'm sending, like, I really do take care of those people, not from a friendship perspective, but I'm also like into, even to the degree of like, encouraging people on self-care, you know, like offering Zooms on wellness and, you know, encouraging people to try different supplements. Like I do that because I want people to thrive. But you, you don't, nobody does that for you in leadership, and part of it's because you know you they're intimidated or it's it's, it's not an appropriate dynamic, but it's also because it's just the function. It's how organizations function. Unless you're in an extremely challenged dynamic, when you're a child, you're not watching out for your mom's, you know, health outcomes, right? right. Like like yeah. you're like you're in a position of seniority. That's your job. Right. So in doing that, you you shoulder that, and that comes at a cost to you. But and there's also great benefits. But remember that because it's also like a mandate. You know, I used to in my business, I would be like, oh, I'm leaving at, you know, three o'clock today because I'm going to go box and then I have to get groceries because something's going on and I've got to do this thing for work tomorrow night and I need the groceries. Like I'd have a whole bunch of really legitimate, like either self-care or like work, because my work is my life, you know, Right. right now it's a little bit more balanced, but for years, like all I did morning, noon and night and all night long was this, right, building this business. And so- I would then, you know, send a group email out like I am leaving early today. I am reachable <laughs> on email. I am doing this, yes. you know, and then I'm like, why are you doing this, like? You're taking care of all these people. You, the benefit that you earn from that is that you can also claim your space, right? Like you don't have to, and you no, can them, leave. Yeah, you can just leave. Yeah. And I, and granted, and I also I want to model the same. You know, if my marketing director needs to leave early to go pick up her kids, before COVID, go pick up her kids from gymnastics or something. Fine, I know she'll be on email later that. Like, it's fine. You know, I could. There's no as long as it's not an everyday thing, right? It's fine. Right. So you you kind of get this thing where you feel beholden to a team and feel accountable in a way that they actually don't expect from you. And I feel like that's a females and leadership thing in particular. It could be. But But I started to like just say no apologies. Like I'm going to, you know, and a lot of it too is a lot of, I see this a lot in, in leadership in general. You know, you look at these guys who run Wall Street companies and it's interesting, you know, tech guys to Mm -hmm. a fault are fit now. Right, you know, you look at like Mark Zuckerberg, he's got some packs, right? Like there's some uh, Jeff Bezos who's in bang in good shape. That's the new generation of leaders. Right. The old generation, the Wall Street guys, were like visible dumpster fires, right? <laughs> of health, True. like they're yeah. like obese and they've got gout and they, you know, you're like you carry a CPAP machine with you during the day, right? You know, you look like you need some help breathing. You know, like there's like that was like, and that's a phenotype that's changing somewhat. But like if you think about the archetype of like of wealth and success of the 80s and 90s, it was like, it was like, you know, drinking a ton and visible health challenges. And today's leadership is different. And there's, there's a benefit to that. I think about, I take care of myself because I want to take care of myself, but I also want to show up for my team where they're like, oh yeah, when she shows up, she's, she shows up, she looks great. She looks healthy. She's rested. She's not like, oh my God, I need a a triple espresso.
0: Right. And if you're a leader, you you have to like, walk the walk you know you have yeah, to yeah like and that's also
1: like yeah in our restaurant companies you know I really I i don't drink very much and I made it a point to I never drink in our restaurants right never and it's like I just don't want to show up it's like oh you know so many times it's like in the restaurant companies it's like oh the boss is here it's like get you know make a double martini it's like all about like show up and drink and party right. and, that old and that's because like yeah that's the thing so it's like in leadership you know embodied leadership is a thing You know, embodied leadership, like you want to be the leader, not just in title and not like I'm the hero who took it across the finish line at this great personal cost, but you can also embody leadership through wellness.
0: Right. Yeah. A hundred percent. I mean,
1: and that's the thing that's emerging now. And I think it's something that, and it's like for women, it's all a lot of it's been about being skinny. I'm not a skinny lady, but I like, I want to be fit. I want to be muscular. I want to be like, I want to be vital you know right. you like so strong. for me i'm like when i yeah. when i say wellness i'm not talking about being like a size 0 here you know right. i'm talking about like showing up as a strong powerful grounded person where you're you know i just think of like the kind of you think about the old archetype of female leadership where it's like i need a triple matcha totally. latte iced yeah. or else i'm going to fall apart and it's like i never want to be that it's like just give me a cup of coffee is cool and I'm going to take and or I'll show up with my own things like I can take care of myself and that's how I want to show up. So there's different styles, you know, I'm talking about what works for me. But in terms of the motivations around wellness, think about it also, too, is like you want to you want to be a, you know, not like you're you've sacrificed your life on the altar of your work. That's an outdated mode, right? It's an outdated mode. And you're not going to appeal to younger people that way either. No. You're not going to. You know, I I have a ton of Gen Z and Gen X employees, millennial and Gen Zs, right? So like those those people too, it's like they're looking for you as a leader to embody wellness.
0: Yes. Like the the younger generation of women and millennials today, they're all inspired by wellness. Like if it's not part of your company and your culture, like they're not interested. At least that's the vibe that I'm getting from people.
1: Yes. Yeah. And they want you to show up in that way, you
0: know, which I think is a,
1: I think they're right. It's a new
0: world, really. I mean, I think, you know, for me, when I started this podcast, even, that was where this began. It was like, I was working with a lot of people that were kind of like the outliers right they were all these like CEOs and founders that had like this secret you know triathlon habit you know Mm -hmm. or they were you know they were like super into fitness they didn't tell anyone like they would leave their office for three hours and be at the gym or you know and and I was working with them though so I would know as somebody that was like working with them on marketing or brand stuff like people my clients and people in my world were all into health and wellness even though they were like also, you know, successful CEOs or founders or executives. And I just knew there was like this story that needed to be told because I think, and now it's like everywhere.
1: I don't understand how you can perform optimally without taking care of wellness.
0: Yeah, I agree. I agree. It's
1: not been my experience. You know, it's not been my experience. Like in my experience, self-care wellness optimal is aligned exactly with career performance being optimal. Agreed. Right. Like it's like there's a, it's, it's been, you know, I've had moments when I've sort of fallen off the tracks and that's the same moments when everything else falls apart. Right. You know, so it's like, I don't know another way to do it. I'm sure there are ways to do it in the same way that like, I believe that organizational cultures are built, you know, they're strong if they've got a lot of integrity and enthusiasm. And then I read about totally dysfunctional organizational cultures that, do incredibly well. Right. So it's like obvious (laughs) that like, you know, like they're where they're all like racist and sexist and awful and they make billions of dollars. So it's totally doable. I'm just saying for my way, it's it's been those things go hand in hand.
0: Well, you have to be authentic, right? And that's your business. I mean, when it, like when you get back down to like the roots of everything, I mean, you, know, you live a healthy life. You're doing all the things, and I feel like it's always been your mo.
1: Yeah, absolutely. No, and and for me, there's like this. There has to be this consistency and this integrity, you know, in bringing things together in life, right? But that's you know, this is this is my experience, and I always qualify it more as like, okay, well, this is just, I'm only sample size of one here. But broadly, I have I, I have to say I'm I'm happy to see this become more of the cultural norm now.
0: Well, I want to make it happen, so dig it. <laughs> let's bring I it like out it. there to the universe and uh, get people on board. Thanks again for tuning in to Marnie on the Move. If you like what you hear, leave us a five star review in Apple Podcasts. Follow us on social at Marnie on the Move for Facebook and Instagram and Marni Salop on Twitter. Head over to our website, MarniOnTheMove.com for more info on this episode, links in the show notes, and of course, sign up for our quarterly newsletter, The Download, to get updates, deals, giveaways, and information on future events for 2019. I want to hear from you. Email me, MarnieOnTheMove one at gmail.com and let me know what you're enjoying what you want to hear more of, if you have questions for our guests, just reach out.